Hello, thanks for pressing play and welcome to the next Frontline, the future of manufacturing, operational excellence, Industry 4.0, and the people building it. This is your host, Eric Dunn. Today, it is my pleasure to present my conversation with Marcos Paganini. Marcos is the Global Vice President of Manufacturing Strategy at Johnson & Johnson. His responsibilities in Johnson & Johnson are many, including the global network footprint, their digital manufacturing strategy, the end-to-end -end supply chain optimization, agility programs, developing a culture of innovation, change management, operational excellence, and performance management. His responsibilities also include process standardization across the global manufacturing and supply chain network, as well as focusing on critical choices on key technologies and capabilities aligned to their customer needs. I'm sure you'll enjoy his warmth and energy. Please join me in welcoming Marcos Paganini. Marcos, thank you so much for being here with us today. It is my big pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay, Marcos, let me start with this because I'm intrigued by, by this one. Uh, when you were the operations leader for the Americas region of Johnson & Johnson, you had to deal with an event, so to speak. There was a living organism that entered your manufacturing campus, putting at risk your 2,000 employees there. And I'm not talking about the coronavirus, but something else. Can you please elaborate on, on that story? Absolutely. That's the, the, the fabulous thing about being in, uh, in operations. No? We deal with very uh, exotic things many times. No? So <laughs> I can tell you that was a unique experience in my life. I, um, and at my role in the Americas region, I was uh, leading all the manufacturing sites for North and Latin America. Uh, consumer segment in the, in J and J. So one of our big manufacturing site, uh, actually a campus as we would call, is in the, is based in the next to São Paulo in Brazil, and uh, and and this campus is next to a rainforest, um, yeah. which is protected by the way by government. You no, know? um, and it happened that through the fences, and we don't know how it happened, but a black panther. Uh, penetrated our our manufacturing site, <laughs> and and when I was uh, first said about that, right? They called me. I was uh, at that role. I was based in New York City. Um, I said, okay, but you know, just take her out, no? And they said, <laughs> no, we can't because, by the way, she only happens to appear during the night and not during the day. So, and, and, and during the night, it's very difficult, right? And by the way, we are scared. I said, wow, why are you scared, right? They sent me a picture and it was almost two meters long. So oh, a, wow. a real beast, I tell you. Uh, so to make the long story short, that uh, animal is also protected no, by law in Brazil. So you cannot touch you know, the animal. So it, it got so complex, the situation. It took us two months to figure out and, and take the panther out of the factory. And um, it, we tried many different ways, it never happened. And during those two months, uh, I had to put a major process to protect our employees and not be attacked you know, by the panther. <laughs> and I, I never thought I would have my safety teams working in something like that. 
so it's true and uh but luckily everything finished well for for the painter for us <laughs> that's the beauty of operations never never a boring day never <laughs> okay so marcus i know that you learned about lean before it was even called lean right uh, back in 1990 at fiat uh being coached directly by a person at toyota so how was that experience like and what was your biggest aha moment that most of us have when we learn about lean yeah yeah fascinating story i tell you and i carry that for my whole life and because i learned you know uh, at that time we wouldn't call lean right but i learned operational excellence and just in time from textbooks before right so when i went to uh to fiat group very early in my career now i'm talking first time i joined fiat group i was 22 right but then i eventually stayed 10 years now and that's when i joined this effort now of bringing toyota production system to fiat automotive right and 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 to your point at that time the the terminology link did not even exist uh, and just in time was the term, and many times uh, total quality control. But at the end of the day, uh, it was the Toyota system, right? So when we, we 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 connected to Toyota folks, right? And we had one ex, a former director from Toyota, right? And he joined us. Uh, uh, he would say, "Well, uh, I, I would say, oh, so you do just in time, and you do this and this and that." He said, "No, we do Toyota." Right, he he could not explain right exactly what that was, no, uh, uh, and that so uh, uh, through that person, I tell you, I learned so much, and it was uh, I even remember his name, and nowadays it's Mr. Yutani, right? I never forget, and he would not speak any English, so a real Japanese experience, I tell you, and we had always a translator note next to him. Um, uh, a very uh, challenging, I would t tell you, uh, experience for Western culture. So it was very dry and direct and sharp, you no, know? um, and and always uh, bringing us uh, to Gamba. He would say, right? It's all about Gamba, no? He would say, which is uh, going right. to the shop floor, right? Uh, we would be in, in offices presenting slides and these things. And no, 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 Gamba, Gamba, let's go to the game. And <laughs> and in my view. Initially, and that's my big aha, right? I, I, I was thought at that time that lean and just-in-time was about reducing inventories, no? Uh, I had that thing in my mind. And my big aha, right, walking with him in the, in the shop floor for many times in big manufacturing uh, sites, uh, I learned uh, through exercise with him that it was not about reducing inventory was about creating flow by using inventory in a smart way. You see, um, to have a, a, a flow that is pulled from customers and that the inventories uh, were used all through the chain to regulate your supply chain and be used to better keep the pace of your consumption from consumers uh, all through the value chain. I told you, when I learned that, I never forgot, no? Then I said, okay, then if you have a better flow and pulled from your customers, automatically your inventories will start to reduce as your problems reduce. No? And, and that's something that has, I tell you, really changed my whole conception of, of lean and just-in-time, which I use even nowadays, right? Of course, right? Uh, when I teach uh, our, our new employees. No? I imagine that 
since then, you have led you know, multiple turnaround situations where the hard part is not necessarily applying the right tools of the lean uh, tool set, but rather how you manage change, and especially with frontline workers. So what what is good practice in order to engage frontline workers in the case of a, a turnaround situation? Yeah, yeah. Well, it is my job, right, to go through turnaround situations, right? I've done that dozens and dozens of times in very different situations, geographies and cultures, no? I have really passion for that, no? And I tell you, every turnaround is a different turnaround. So you, you, uh, it's, an, it's really an art, right, to combine uh, techniques, methodologies and change through people, no? Through that uh, process, I think I think the 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 the, the real thing you want to do with frontline people now in, in operations is, is is first to create trust. Now you need to connect. You need to connect through the hearts of people. Now they need to understand why you're doing those things. Because I tell you, many times the resistance to change. Well, resist to change. I tell you, is natural, right? So. I I, mm-hmm. I I I I was even thinking uh, uh, today about resistance because I had to change my my smartphone, no? and I was telling, oh my <laughs> god, I I I I haven't been sleeping for two days because I have to change this uh, smartphone. <laughs> so uh, we all have right resistance to change, right? So, and it's not a rational resistance, right? It's not at all, right? It's about fear. Uh, discomfort, right, or ego or status is always related to these aspects. No, so you do need to understand, right, and connect to people by understanding, right, and have chemistry, right, and demonstrate that you understand uh, uh, why this is happening, right. That's the first thing to connect, right, and to listen, listen, right, and recognize that. Of course, you always have people that are against change, and but that's the exception, right? Human beings by by nature, they want to progress, right? They want to improve things, no? So that's what I do, right? So I the first thing is to connect, to understand the situation, to listen a lot. Uh, and then the second step is really to demystify the change, right? Is to show that it's made of many small steps and to be with your people through these small steps and and and, and be a culture, no? Uh, on these steps, no, and be there with them and do what we call in, in again, right, Toyota production system on the job training, no, on the game. And when you do that, I, I tell you the resistance and the fear for change uh, changes a lot, right? And they, they all move in the same direction with you. Yeah, you just mentioned about um, helping people, especially managers, become coaches of change. And I believe that a lot has changed in the style of management, especially uh, in the expectations of frontline workers, different expectations of how to be empowered, how to be engaged. What has changed in your experience, you know, comparing the way that frontline workers are managed today versus how they were managed uh, 20 years ago or beyond? Yes, yes, that's a very good uh, question. Of course, the world has uh, evolved, right? And there is much more transparency, uh, the need to have much more respect, attention to minorities, uh, diversity and inclusion, right? So uh, uh, leaders also need to evolve, right? The, the, the uh, command and control type of approach does not resonate anymore, 
you see. I'm not saying that there are no companies and people that don't continue to use that approach, but it's not really sustainable, right? And and uh, uh, people uh, will not choose you as a leader, right? They may do because they need a job, but they not choose your leader, and then you're not going to take the most, right, of your people. So uh, respect and connect and be authentic turns to be uh, a very important element, right? And so, and and that's what I I tell my teams many times, right? So we as managers keep in mind that when we develop new processes and tools, uh, these things should not exist to control, but it should exist to enable, right? So we need to, to pivot, right, from control to enable and put ourselves in the shoes of people that will use our, our processes, right, uh, and projects, no? And see if this is making uh, life easier, no? And their jobs more satisfying and and, and easier, right? So yes, the, the 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 ways of working change dramatically, and we need to be much more sensitive, no, uh, to the human side of uh, of uh, of management. Absolutely, uh, Marcos. I know that you've been involved as you just mentioned in dozens and dozens of turnaround situations and besides specific turnarounds you also look into manufacturing strategy and it's clear that in those situations also technology has a place and especially right now where there's a lot of industry 4.0 and artificial intelligence and internet of things what is your approach when it comes to technology i imagine you're, you're constantly being presented with new technologies from your own team members or or you are presenting technology to others what is your overall approach when you're looking into a new technology yeah uh look again this is a very timely question by the way right because now we are confronted right with the avalanche of slogans and buzzwords and uh, lots of things around technology it's not the first time by the way so i have a long mm-hmm. career right and i i got all the wave of continue, uh, 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 computer integrated manufacturing, we would call that CIM at that time with uh, the wave of uh, hard automation and ERP systems, MRPs and the like. Uh, and the same, I tell you, the same dilemmas existed at that time and now it's back. I see the same thing. So of course, with high intensity nowadays because of the internet of things and uh, now consumers have uh, access to technology as well, right? So it, it, it got even more complex, I would say. Uh, but uh, uh, my, my, my approach is that each technology must not exist for the sake of technology, right? So we need to be very careful, right? It all starts by what is the problem you're trying to solve? Uh, so what is your, uh, cast, what are your customer needs? Um, uh, what are your process gaps? So you need to go through that process and then identify uh, how how eventually you can uh, improve that process without technology. That's the first step, right? Can you simplify? Can you change? Can you eliminate? Can you re-engineer? And then once you go through that process, then you can see, okay, how can technology uh, enhance uh, this process? Uh, by putting people in the middle of that process as well, right? That's the other thing that I I, I, I say many times in events and to my organization as well, that uh, technology must enhance processes and augment uh, people uh, capabilities, no? 
because it's a, it's a fallacy, right, to think that technology will eliminate people, right? So people will always be in the center, right? But they need to have different skills and different ways of working. And technology can be a great ally on that if we understand the role of uh, technology, right? I was reading, actually, uh, a book uh, from Bill Gates yesterday, right? Something uh, from his uh, history. And he was saying exactly the same. And look, coming from a technology guru, right? He was saying, well, bring technology to uh, efficient processes and you're going to get great things. Bring technology to inefficient process and you're going to have a terrible combination, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes, it's the mantra, right? First process, then technology, yeah. Is there anything that you've changed your mind about in the last few years? Well, <laughs> I uh, absolutely yes, right? Technologists, of course. I've been uh, always talking about Marcos, no? A very intense uh, leader, no? And I tell you, very perfectionist as well, no? So, uh, well, you know, my base is operational excellence and always trying to be excellent, you know, in everything. And, and the reality is that what I learned is that it's impossible that everything is always excellent at the same level and you need to respect uh, a certain rhythm no, and cadence in the organization. The organization is a living organism. No? You need to respect that pace no, and that people and teams will have their own pace. So uh, today I practice a lot what sometimes we say that many times the great is the enemy of the good. No, um, uh, So uh, many times good is good enough, right? right. Uh, uh, it's true, right? And that it's many times better to have many goods uh, versus one great, right? Because when you have many goods, you have the whole organization embracing uh, that, you no, know, and you have a, a bigger uh, crowd, right, towards this change. You no, know? so that's what I try to practice nowadays. The great is the enemy of the good, and sometimes good is good enough. Uh, and, and touching on these leadership insights, uh, you were providing to me an example before we start recording, great story about leading from the front, hands-on, the story of the former owner of a company that Johnson & Johnson acquired in France. Can you develop on that one? Yes, yes. That's a fa well, I had fabulous stories. No? And uh, uh, that one uh, was a privilege. I We acquired a business. Uh, in the city of uh, Dijon, you know, uh, a brand that is called Le, Pet Le Petit Marseille in French. Mm -hmm. you know? And the company was actually called uh, uh, Vendôme. Uh, th that was the main company. I remember that they make soaps and shampoo and Absolutely. so on. Absolutely. Right? And very, very fancy with nice flavors and uh, mm -hmm. you know, based on all the Mediterranean flavors and this kind of thing. So I was detached, right, to, to go to Dijon in France and be close to the owner, no, because we had an agreement that he would stay for a few months, no, to manage the integration with us. Um, and uh, a fabulous person, uh, I, I remember still his name was uh, Michel. And and he, I, I never forget when I entered his office, no, he had all those flavors and uh, spreading his uh, table, right? And, and when I sit down with him, he made me. I smelled, you know, 200 of those flavors. No, <laughs> to really, uh, I, I, I truly think that he wanted me to, to, to fill his company, right? And I was there as a corporate guy, right? And uh, 
to manage the orchestration of the change. No, I, uh, so uh, the integration, system integration didn't, didn't go so well in the beginning. And we had issues though, integrating their local systems to ours, no? Um, and uh, ours at that time, SAP, and there's a local system, uh, and didn't work well. And to the point that we uh, we were about to be delisted in some products in the in, in some of the mass uh, mass market uh, uh, companies now uh, at that time Carrefour and uh, so a very scary situation now uh, during that transition and 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 one day uh, during that crisis uh, we had a crisis management uh, and the main uh, warehouse was in Paris no and I was uh, actually in Paris no uh, to manage that crisis. And I learned that Michel uh, was in the uh, warehouse no? uh, uh, in an evening, uh, Friday evening, imagine. And, and I said, okay, I go there, right, to see what's going on. So I tell you, it's, it's been one of the most fantastic things I've seen in my life. I, he, he was the owner of that business. He had just sold to J&J. Uh, he, he made a lot of money in that uh, uh, divestiture. And uh, I see Michel at... 11 p.m. in the evening on a Friday, carrying pallets, you know, to the trucks, and uh, in the middle of uh, many other crew members, no. And I go and say, Michelle, what you're doing here, right? It's 11, and he looks at me and says, uh, "You're not gonna kill my baby." You know, wow. <laughs> when I see that, I said, I said, you know what? I put my bag, you know, aside. I said, I'm going to help you, right? <laughs> and it was both of us carrying pallets, you no, know, to the trucks up to 2 a.m. And he said, no, let's go, right? And uh, guess what, right? Uh, Carefully wow. received uh, that truck next day. And uh, I, I took a big learning, right? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's all about purpose and passion, you no? Know? And uh, fantastic. Wow. Story. Yes. Yeah. Talk about leading at the front line. Uh you also mentioned that for you personally, one of the best moments of your career was when you were working in the Asian region, um, setting up a new factory in South of India. How was that like? Yeah, so uh, Asia, I spent three and a half years in Asia, no? and uh, as an operations lead no? for the whole region. Um, fantastic experience, no? Uh, first thing, when we call Asia, right, it, it's very different concept, right? Because Asia is a continent made of many different cultures and countries, no? It's, it's very much more diverse, I would say, than Europe, no? Um, and so all these cultures and styles and things. But one thing they have in common, it is uh, the eagerness to learn, no? Uh, so, uh, uh, when, when I was at the sites, you no, know, doing my games and the like, they all wanted to learn and, uh, catch up. And that, that was a beautiful thing. And one of the projects we had was in, in India to build a new factory. Um, and it was a, a factory based on liquids, no, to produce shampoos and also you, you need water. Uh, so what I tell you, I can write a book about that really. Uh, we, uh, you <laughs> Looking know, forward to that. I tell you, man. I uh, uh, w first to find where's the adequate place in India, you no, know, to find a uh, 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 correct uh, field, you no, know, uh, uh, to 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 acquire, you no, know, for, for the plant. 
and where you would find good water. You know, it took us like six months uh, flying through a helicopter to one city to another. You no, know? and we ended up uh, in Hyderabad, which is uh, more towards the south of uh, India. You no, know? and and uh, the journey was also to uh, agree with government, you no, know, to have the right permits, you no. Know? Uh, to 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 uh, to build no that that factory, and then to find labor no uh, to start working with us and technical people to help us building the the factory. So that made me think that how beautiful supply chain is, right? It is the essence of the human being uh, cooperation, no. So taking very complex situations no in all aspects no economics social demographics and everything and putting together right a plan and having a great output no so this is all about supply chain and and I tell this story many times to young talents no and many times when I go to universities no to give speeches and the like and say look Supply chain, uh, again, right, it's a beautiful demonstration of the human cooperation or the ability for us to do something great out of a very complex situation. Absolutely. As a fellow industrial engineer, I could not agree more. I believe it is one of the most uh, human-centric of the engineerings. Yeah. Marcos, uh, to try to wrap it up, because this has been a fantastic conversation, when you were 22 years old, you were named you were named the best industrial engineer in Brazil. So when you look back today to that young man, what advice would you give him to become more than industrial engineer, a good industrial manager and leader? Yeah, yeah, what a journey, I tell you. I've I've been privileged, I tell you, to uh, have such a journey in my life, right? I met so many principal people and situations uh, you get so humble no when you do that i can only thank for uh everything that happened i tell you uh, uh yes you need to have uh death right in in uh in in terms of learning in the academics in in the knowledge right you need to have that right so your uh, uh conceptual knowledge must be really uh, 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 rigorous, right? That's what I always say. Uh, however, uh, you also need to have many other elements, right? To, to be humble, to be authentic, uh, to have emotional intelligence, right? So because you're you, uh, being smart, right? And your knowledge can only bring you up to a point. What is really going to transform your knowledge and multiply your knowledge, right? Is the other soft elements, as I call, right? So uh, the attention to minorities, diversity and inclusion, your curiosity, uh, the emotional intelligence, being close to your people. So if I would advise uh, young talents, would be that, right? Yes, study a lot, be very you know rigorous in your studies and keep uh, advancing your learning, but this is not sufficient, right? Make sure that you, you, you advance equally on the other soft elements, as we call. Marcos, where can people find you online, find about you, uh, and also the causes that you support? Yes. Uh, no, thanks for asking. 
So listen, it's very easy. Now, uh, please go to my uh, LinkedIn. You're going to see Marcos Paganini. If you put Johnson & Johnson, of course, you're going to find me uh, right away. Uh, and I, I uh, first thing, right, if, if you want to be part of my network, it's a pleasure. But uh, very important, right, if you want to uh, engage with me, right, in the humanitarian cause that I support. Uh, nowadays, we are having a campaign. Uh, to create five nutritional centers in the uh, south part of the island of uh, Madagascar, uh, where we want to feed 1,600 children that today are starving uh, because of a, the, the COVID impact. You know? So please, uh, if you could go to my, again, right, LinkedIn, see my post related to the campaign and would uh, love to have your support to this campaign. Okay. And what is what is the name of this charity? Absolutely. So it's a fraternity without borders. Uh, and in my LinkedIn, you're gonna find the links uh, uh, to that. But it's a it's an NGO that supports multiple projects, uh, both in Brazil and many of them in Africa, and mostly in the uh, countries uh, that have extreme poverty. Thank you for inviting us on that. And I will make sure that I share the links to this in the show notes. I deeply thank you for that. Marcos, with those closing notes, I really want to thank you for your time, for for your generosity in sharing your stories and your insights. And we definitely had to do a follow-up conversation on this. Oh, it's going to be my pleasure. I love this process. It's all about give and take. Every, every time I do this, I learn as well. So my, my big pleasure. Thank you, Marcos. This podcast is brought to you by Rever, the frontline excellence platform. Rever is an easy-to-use app that connects your frontline managers and team members so you can solve issues at the source instead of catching up with overtime. With Rever, your frontline can expose hidden losses and problems, connect and guide the right people to solve them, and you get real-time visibility and automated recommendations to multiply the benefits. World-class companies like Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, Mars, GlaxoSmithKline and Grupo Bimbo use Rever to avoid safety incidents, to eliminate defects, and to drive preventive maintenance to stop productivity losses. All of this driven by your frontline employees, not a few experts. That is frontline excellence, to activate the untapped potential of the frontline to elevate your people and performance with Rever. To learn more, visit reverscore.com to start your free trial. That is reverscore.com.